Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. She's been an educator, a community activist, and now an older woman, but Sophia King wants to be mayor of Chicago. And if you're among the many people alarmed over violent crimes across the city, she would tell you to listen up. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend has been the Alderwoman of the Fourth Ward since 2017. Sophia King was appointed to that job by Rahm Emanuel when Will Burns left the city council. She's won two elections since then. She was lead sponsor of the effort to raise the city's minimum wage to $15 an hour, and she spearheaded the redevelopment of the old Michael Reese Hospital site. Well, now Sophia King is a mayoral candidate who is focusing a good deal of her campaign at this stage on public safety, which is the topic most voters seem to focus on, too, right now. We're going to talk about her wide-ranging plan to overhaul the police department and its procedures and practices during this half hour, and we're going to talk about a lot more. We are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing, and Sophia King, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me, Craig. I appreciate being here this morning. Well, let's talk about first your safety and justice plan. And we are not talking about a position paper. This is a position magazine, a <laughs> glossy cover and pages and a 10 point plan. Seriously, why devote so much campaign energy and resources to this document? No, I, I well, I, I think it's important, Craig, but I hope uh, more than just you and my mother read it. Um, I think it is, you know, accumulation of, you know, things I've been thinking of uh, since we've been faced with so much crime. And and because I have experience with uh, two police commanders um, and, you know, kind of live 
some of these issues every day, I've been able to think about it. But not only that, um, you know, vet it with uh, former superintendents, with uh, rank and file officers and with uh, residents who who live in the city. Uh, but, you know, let me just give you some top lines and then we can de- delve into uh, the program. I have, you know, a safety and justice plan that, you know, calls on installing new leadership Um and, you know, that's not personal. It's just, uh, you know, the police don't feel appreciated. Uh, arrests are down 75%. Uh, I just think, um, you know, the superintendent um, has got off on the wrong foot here, you know, taking uh, police out of communities, um, a number of reasons we need new leadership. Um, it also calls on immediately putting new, more officers into the community, uh, by creating the what we're calling a Chicago Reserve made up of a thousand retired uh, officers. Uh, first, you know, filling uh, some of those police vacancies uh, and mostly the detective uh, vacancies. Uh, but other major cities have this. Uh, we should do it. Uh, bring back our, you know, retired officers who can right away, um, you know, get at issues of crime, um, especially around solving uh, uh, you know, violent crime and and uh, shootings um, in our communities. Uh, and so a Chicago Reserve um, is also part of our plan. Um, again, adding uh, those reserve members to the detective uh, unit first and foremost to solve murders and shootings. Um, and then, you know, we're also talking about you know, bringing more uh, policing into communities uh, where they belong, Um, you know, uh, taking them out of our neighborhoods and communities was uh, a failed strategy. And again, why we need new leadership. Uh, One of the biggest things that we can do right away is move from, you know, three shifts uh, to two shifts. Currently, you know, we have a three shift uh, police department moving from three shifts to two shift immediately you know, gives, it's not giving officers more time during the week, uh, but it allows them to move from four day, 10 hour, two shifts, uh, which could give us up to 50% more boots on the ground right away and in the communities where they're needed and in the places where they're needed the most. As we know, uh, lawsuits um, and um, reports have shown us that, you know, our police aren't in the places where they're needed the most at the times when they're needed the most. So we want to make sure that that happens as well. Um, And one of the biggest portions, uh, because police while they need to be part of our plan, uh, there's a false narrative that, you know, we should, you know, defund police or get rid of the police. I believe, you know, that we can both uplift police and hold them accountable. We need police as part of this plan. They're not the only part of the plan, um, but we do need them and we need them at their best. Uh, But a big portion of the plan calls for, you know, two to $300 million put into violence intervention programs. Um, And so uh, uh, we need to scale up, uh, programs where we have, you know, matrix and metrics that that show us uh, that putting money into intervention um, can help uh, with gun violence. Uh, specifically, we're, we're saying to, you know, give incentives for young, mostly black and brown men um, to come into the formal economy um, with, you know, a stipend, a weekly stipend, um, that's way more than they would make on the streets. 
um, and then ask them to, um, well, part of that plan would be that they would have to go to, you know, job training, uh, to trauma-informed care. It would provide wraparound services for their family. Uh, And if we do this right, we can put a dent in violence intervention or gun violence and not be back here in 10 to 20 years. Uh, So that's part of our our plan as well. Uh, We also know that you know, over 50% of calls to 911 are for nonviolent uh, offenses, uh, things like uh, mental health insecurities, uh, homelessness, and other issues around po- poverty. Uh, we've got pilot programs, which I and a couple of my colleagues uh, help to uh, bring to bear uh, that are, are uh, in a couple of police districts right now, but they're on a very small scale. We need to to move those up, um, to scale those up as well. Uh, because like I said, over 50% of calls to 911 are for these types of offenses. Um, and so police aren't trained to do those, nor should they be doing those. Uh, we need to bring in uh, mental health clinicians, uh, folks who are trained in homeless issues to solve some of those uh, to, you know, be there for some of those issues as well. Um, and then embracing technology, you know, we're living in this digital age. Um, and by the way, you know, we should be the Silicon Valley of the Midwest. That's something I'd like to talk about, um, as well, but we need to embrace technology. I talk about drones, you know, I think people have images of drones fighting in, in wars and things of that nature. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we can use that technology, that modern technology uh, to have, you know, drones show up kind of as first responders or to see kind of be a first look at what's on the scene or, you know, not putting residents or officers in harm's way. We can have, you know, drones follow people, take a picture of an offender um, and so that we can identify them. They can also identify guns and and other types of things. Um, They're cheaper than, than helicopters. So you could have, you know, five or so in every district and and spend less than $2 million. So it's not cost prohibitive and it's something that we should use and we need to embrace the technology that we have. Um, and a couple of the other things which are, you know, not smaller, obviously committing to real criminal justice reform, you know, let's, let's fire the proud boy, not the, not the officer who's ahead of, you know, the consent decree. Uh, we need to really commit to fully implementing uh, this federal consent decree. Um, and then we need to clean up these vacant lots. Uh, you know, it's, it's a shame and that's a low hanging fruit um, in all of our communities across the city. You know, we shouldn't have city lots that are not uh, maintained. Um, and those also are, uh, a, a small part of the uh, crime that we see and, and studies do show that, that, you know, having clean lots um, can reduce rates of crime and, and individuals know that anecdotally that, you know, all of the vacant lots just add to uh, the crime that we see and have in our communities. So those are some of the highlights. Um, and like you said, there are a number of things, but we thought long and hard you know, about uh, these um, uh, points, which we feel can immediately address uh, the violent crime that we see, which is, you know, 
pretty much number one, two, and three priority uh, in the city, according to residents that I've spoken to. Well, let's uh, let's let's dig a little deeper into a, a, a couple of those. Um, you that that thousand member reserve unit. Obviously, you know where the pool is for that among the retired officers. But let's face it: uh, in getting more people onto the street, more people into the force. I mean, you want to hire another uh, sixty or fill sixteen hundred police vacancies. Sure. The city has presumably the officials have been trying to do that sure. uh, up, up to this point, and it's been difficult. And right. what could change that would bring more people in to take the test, bring a diverse group of people in to take the test, and get them to want to be police officers? Yeah. So, so the Chicago Reserve would deal with that um, would mitigate that issue immediately, right? We, we've got to get, you know, more people, more officers in the communities where they're needed right away. And that's why I'm saying we're not going to fill 1600 vacancies right away. That, that's not happening. We're losing officers at a rate faster than we can, um, bring them in. And so, um, attrition is way outpacing how we can bring officers in. So, so the, the, uh, Chicago reserve, uh, we can start to fill those officers with retired officers who, by the way, do want to come out, some come back. Some of them are aged out. Some of them just don't like, you know, the leadership that's there. They don't feel appreciated. Um, so right away we can use those to fill, um, uh, during surge times, during the summer, uh, like I said, detectives, we need a lot more detectives uh, working on the force. We've got one of the lowest clearance rates in the country. And by clearance rates, I mean, you know, the uh, average amount of crimes that we solve. Um, and they're really, really low. And in uh, black and brown communities, they're even lower. So we need detectives who are able to solve these crimes so that it mitigates or so that other crimes, uh, people don't feel like, you know, um, they're in the wild, wild west. I mean, you have a 95% chance to get away with murder, literally, uh, in the city of Chicago. And so what that does is creates, uh, you know, uh, other crimes and opportunities because people think that they're not getting caught. Um, and so the, the, um, you know, inclusion of a Chicago reserve or a thousand retired officers would answer that. Another thing that we've talked about is incentives, incentives to bring officers and teachers, um, back because we're losing teachers. That attrition rate is high as well. Um, and you know, Craig, I, I think they're, Two professions where we throw everything at them that we've been unable to solve um, at their feet, and that is police and teachers. So we need to incentivize them to stay here. In our plan, it calls for giving them both incentives uh, to live and work um, in the communities that they serve uh, by, you know, uh, giving them dollar lots in the city, uh, low interest rate loan or no interest rate loans backed by bonds that the city uh, can back um, so that they know uh, that we appreciate them. We, we called them essential workers at one point and now everybody's 
already forgotten, uh, but we need those. And so not only can we incentivize them to come, you know, into the city and stay in the city, uh, but they can also live and and work in in the communities uh, that they that they work in. Um, so I think it's a win win, and we need to get on that idea uh, right away. These are things you know we can do right away to stop the exodus that we see uh, of these essential workers leaving our city, but especially our police and our teachers are, are leaving in droves and, and we need to stop that. So so that's why, again, the incentives are important, but also the reserve is important as well. Um, and like I said, uh, uh, New York has 4,000 officers in uh, a reserve or retired officers that come back. Other big cities have it. We should have it as well. Uh, one quick question. Do you have to change the laws to allow people who, as you point out, some of whom have aged out uh, to be back on the force? No, it's um, so it's it's it, it's a win win. Obviously, they wouldn't come back as, as full time officers. Um, they already have a pension, so we don't have to pay for their their, um, you know, medical benefits and things of that nature. Uh, so they would come back in a part-time capacity. Uh, but again, it would help us solve crimes. It would help us in surge areas, you know, like uh, on the lakefront, if we needed them during festivals, so that we could free up other full-time officers to be in the places that they need to be. Um, and, you know, again, since we we're, we're not going to be able to fill 1,600 officers that we've already budgeted for. Um, it will be cheaper uh, to do that as well. Um, and so we should still seek to employ and bring in full-time officers. But this is, I think it's not even a stopgap. Like I said, other big cities use it all the time. I think if we ever get to a place where we have the appropriate number of full-time officers, we should still have the 1,000 uh, reserve officers uh, to serve as detectives, but also during surge times when we need them and when crime may be higher or when we have uh, festivals or social unrest or what have you uh, to be on the ready. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Fourth Ward Alderwoman Sophia King, who is one of the candidates challenging Mayor Lori Lightfoot's re-election bid. Uh, another area in public safety I want to touch on before we uh, go on to some other things uh, is uh, this idea of making sure that there are police where they are needed, when they are needed, which sounds uh, like redeploying, uh, you know, and putting police in more high crime areas. But I know you've, you've been on the city council long enough to know what happens when you suggest moving police from one part of the city to the other. Uh, older people in areas that are safer uh, go crazy. Uh, so how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we have to lead with real programs and not politics. So that's part of it. And I think having a discussion about it first and foremost is, uh, you know, part of the plan. I, I think uh, most um, of my colleagues don't have, you know, the data and and it's kind of all secret and nobody shares. And so it's hard to make decisions based on that. However, our plan doesn't leave any community um, on, uh, you know, with without officers. Uh, like I said, if we can um, go from three shifts 
to two shifts, we can put up to 50% of more officers in the communities where they're needed. And that means all of the communities all over the city. Um, again, you know, we're going from four days to three days, which again allows officers the much needed time and rest that they deserve to have. Um, they're still working 40 hour weeks. Um, but for instance, Craig, let's just say for three shifts, one district has 90 officers. If you go to two shifts, you'll auto well, you you have 90 officers, so you got 30 each shift. That adds up to 90, 30, 60, 90. And then if you go to two shifts, you've got 45 for each shift. So you've got 50% more officers available. Um, they're getting the time and the rest that they need. We do this in the fifth police district right now. Um, and so whether this is long-term or short-term, uh, we can do this immediately. And then all communities will have enough officers. And then again, if we do the thousand officers uh, in our reserve, bringing back part-time um, retired officers who can uh, deal with the uh, uh, crimes, uh, free up uh, more opportunity to have other officers come in. We can immediately address crime and no community will go unserved. Uh, but we certainly need to look at the equitable distribution, I think, which is, which is also um, making... Um, increasing crime in all of our neighborhoods. So getting at making sure um, officers are in the right places at the right time helps all of our communities and helps it not to spread all over the city if we address the crimes in the communities where they're starting from. Okay. You know, some more broad issues. Leadership is an issue in any mayoral race. So can you, how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I, you know, I've uh, been able to uh, lead with uh, collaboration and, and not, you know, um, confrontation. I think, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges uh, of this administration is, you know, not uh, being able to bring people together. And I think that's something that I've uh, been able to do, um, you know, as chair of the Progressive Caucus, uh, which has black, uh, brown, and, and white people um, as members, you know, we've been able to do a number of things together. I've also shown with the former Michael Reese site uh, and the new Bronzeville Lakefront, um, how I can bring people together. Um, you know, so we need someone who can, again, uh, uplift police and hold them accountable. Uh, you know, we need somebody who understands that we can, you know, build and revitalize downtown and build our communities. Uh, we need somebody who understands we can have safety, you know, and justice. And I think that collaborative uh, approach uh, that I bring is something that the city really needs right now. Um, you know, we need to be working with the state, uh, with the county, um, you know, with the governor, with the Cook County uh, board president, with the state's attorney, with the attorney general, with the chief judge. Uh, and, and we're at odds with all of those folks right now, but all of those are, should be part of our plan. Um, we need to somebody who 
knows how to bring people together and build those relationships so that we can, um, you know, face these challenges that that aren't easy, uh, but face them together. I think that is something that, you know, I can bring to the table. Um, and, I, you know, I also think that um, I can speak to all of Chicago um, and, and still bring the wildly disenfranchised black and brown communities much relief and resources. Uh, my ward, Craig, goes from now, you know, Hyde Park to downtown to Jackson um, with Bronzeville, you know, in the middle. And so I have a very diverse ward. I have, you know, pretty much all of the amenities, Grant Park, Northerly Island, Soldier Field, uh, Museum Campus, uh, you know, four times as much lakefront. So, you know, I'm used to managing uh, that diversity. Um, and right now, you know, we need somebody who understands um, that, again, you know, we've got to be able to um, build downtown. You know, most of a lot of our uh, constituents work downtown. We need a vibrant downtown, uh, but we also need to build our communities. Um, so the power of and is, is very important. And uh, that's something that our our uh, campaign and my mayoral leadership uh, will bring. Uh, when I we have talked with uh, Mayor Lightfoot and raised the issue about uh, collaboration or lack of it, uh, she has been saying, but look at what we've been able to do. Look at she's, our budget got done and with the votes needed. The Invest Southwest is getting done. Any, any, she says she is collaborating and she just doesn't feel the need to have 50 votes on everything, but enough votes. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, you know, what, what I would say is that, um, you know, it would be, um, um, naive and disingenuous of me to say that we we haven't been in hard times with with uh social unrest with covid it's been very challenging i think the issue is that if we had been more collaborative we could get through a period in time uh that has been you know really unsteady for everybody a lot better um, so all of those things that she's talking about, um, some of those are as a result, like the Invest Southwest, you know, she's used a number of developments in, in my community, and those aren't things that she started or nurtured. And so it's disingenuous of her to, to talk about those. Um, in fact, her predecessor started a, a number of those, so he could claim them as well. But um, so that's a bit disingenuous. I, I like the idea. We certainly need to invest um, in the South and the West Side. Um, and, and when you talk about the budget, you know, those are things, you know, that we pushed her to at least the last budget. And speaking of that, you know, we gave her $85 million to spend on violence intervention this year, and she spent less than $5 million. Um, and so, you know, not only are, you know, is, is there tension between, you know, her and the teachers, um, her and police, uh, her in the business community, um, you know, we haven't been able to uh, get money out the door. And I think that's because, you know, a lot of leadership in the administration has left. My colleagues are speaking with their feet. So um, yes, things have gotten done, but 
if we had been together as a city, as a, you know, using our, our state resources and, and county resources and, and working together with, with those governmental uh, counterparts, we could have gotten a lot more done. Um, we have very little time left, Bajit, but a purely political uh, question, and that is with a wide field of candidates like there is uh, going into February, it's not going to take as many votes to win or make the expected runoff uh, as it might have in other circumstances. Given Chicago's history of racial politics, is it ha- a handicap to have so many uh, candidates in the race and African-American candidates in this race? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We're, you know, we're going to seek to get votes all over the city. Um, I think we don't have to go back so far in the last race in 2019 we had 14 candidates. I believe 10 of those were African-American. Out of the top six, four were African-American and four were women. Um, so, you know, uh, we're going to seek to get votes all over the city. Um, I think, you know, I'm the only other woman in this race. Uh, the electorate still wants, um, in spite of the uh, incumbent wants a woman, and that's uh, Craig in the Black community, in the Latino community, and um, in the African American or in the white community. Uh, the polls are suggesting that they want a, a woman um, to continue to lead uh, the city of Chicago. And uh, as the only other woman in the race, I will be seeking votes all over the city. Um, and again, bringing the power of Anne. We can have safety and justice. We can uplift our police and we can hold them accountable. We can build downtown and build our communities. You know, we can have, um, you know, build our, our education and, and build the kids who want to go to college as well as in the trades. We don't have to choose. I think we've been given that false narrative, but we are going to bring the power of and. Uh, we've got a plan. I'm also the only one with, um, you know, uh, the uh, experience. Uh, We don't need to uh, be flying this plane and building at the same time again. We've made that mistake and we don't need to do that again. And so with my leadership of collaboration um, and uh, my experience, uh, I think we will have uh, a winning message, which I know in our safety plan is is uh, um, starting to resonate with with people. And um, so I uh, encourage folks to go to SophiaForChicago.com if they want to learn more about our uh, campaign. And please join us. And, and Craig, thank you so much uh, for having me here today. Uh, I've really enjoyed our time. Well, thank you, as have I. That is Alderwoman Sophia King, candidate for mayor of Chicago. Thank you for spending the half hour with us. Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wdbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage, and you can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.